Hello, welcome to To Be A Terrier. Stephen Chicken here, joined down the line by David Hartrick. So we're in the middle of an international break. I think we've talked a lot about how things are going for Huddersfield Town in general. Before we do get into the the questions and answers, though, we have had a game since we last spoke. They drew nil-nil against Luton. Uh, It was a long time ago now, Dave, so we won't dwell on it too much. But but decent result, wasn't it? Yeah, um, it's it's not made life very easy for me or you because we've both been doing uh, examiner shifts and there wasn't an awful lot you could say about it. It was it was a good point, I think, and everything was sort of broadly fine. You know, it was lots yeah. of people will go to Luton this season and not get anything. So it what mm. what was nice is that we've had lots of international breaks where me and you have had to do a little bit of a, a sort of autopsy on. The, the period beforehand, the last two, it's been absolutely fine. <laughs> Which, while it's it's nice from one point of view, it's uh, yeah, it's difficult finding subjects to talk about when everything is sort of yeah, fine, good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it is. Yeah, I mean, sort of negativity always sort of sells more than positivity, unfortunately. And uh, we've we've had more positivity than negativity, and we'd rather have it that way for our own sakes. But. Uh, yeah, there's only so much you can really say. I thought it was another game where they um, started the game quite poorly. The, the, the first half was, was poor. The second half was much, much better. And I think probably a one-all draw would have been a fairer reflection of the of the action rather than a nil-nil. Um, I mean, how, how worrying are those sort of slow starts for you? It's. I mean, it's something that we've been talking about since Danny Cowley was manager. It's not a yeah. you know it's not a new phenomenon, and I I wonder if it's it uh, there's still a little bit of um, there's still a little bit of fear involved, maybe um, a little bit of a mindset thing because they absolutely don't need to do that. They didn't against Blackburn, and they profited from it. Um, so yeah, it, it's we've I've talked before this season about making sure that you're moving some of the fundamental issues, and that does remain one. Um, I do wonder if I think. There's lots of ways to get around the fact there isn't a passer in midfield, but I do wonder if a passer in midfield would help that because it's just that person from the off who's immediately looking forward. And I think yeah. against Blackburn, one of the things that massively aided them getting on the front foot was obviously you got Alex Vallejo is who does tend to look forward with his passes. He does, you know, his his first mm-hmm. instinct, even if it's a six-yard pass, is to get it to somebody in a forward position. So maybe that's the key to it but it's difficult to say you're sort of worried about it when they're you know seventh place 11 games in etc isn't it it's I I just I don't know I, I just the other thing that's the other point I sort of felt from that game was they do tend to once or twice get into a little bit of a bad habit they they still like go into autopilot and start knocking balls out to the left in the hope that something's going to happen that side sort of completely forgetting that their biggest weapon is on the right hand side this season Um, and again it just makes you realise that there are sort of certain ingrained patterns in certain players that they've just got to work through yeah yeah I would agree with that I think 
Yeah, it was. I think it was an interesting game tactically. They did sort of set up on the ball. They played a three, uh, sorry, a four-three-three basically because you had um, Sorba Thomas would basically go and be an out-and-out winger. Daniel Sonani was much more of a number eight than a, a sort of a, a number ten, and uh, Matty Pearson would go and fill in at right back. And um, I think they've they've not quite cracked how to get the best out of Sorba Thomas on the wings rather than at wing back. Um, and and I think part of that is what you're talking about there. And I. Th- Another thing that we sort of you did a piece about last week is Harry Toffolo's crossing this season has not been great mm. to be honest. Like when I looked through his stats on the face of things, it's like because I was like I feel like we've not had as much out of Toffolo this season, but it's like but he still had two assists. Dribbling stats are the same. Cross completion rates um, are you know roughly the same. All the stats look the same until you look at um, how many chances he's created from crosses, and it's zero. Um, which, considering that they've got, you know, they've created loads from the other side through mm. Silver Thomas, suggests the problem is more more Toffolo than what's going on in in the middle. Um, and, and I think we'd we'd like to see a bit of an improvement there. There are quite a few times where he'd he'd do all the hard work and get get into a good position up the left, um, and then and then his final ball was lacking, which we've seen quite a few times this season. It feels like so. I think if I was looking for sort of points of criticism this week, um, that that would be where I sort of started. But you know, we'll, we'll, we'll I think we'll see an improvement. To be fair, you know, I think it's sort of it might be a bit of a law of averages thing, and we'll we'll see that I you would expect. Sorber Thomas's output to decline and you know Harry Toffolo's to improve yeah I think definitely I, th- I think with 3-4-3 three, three as well I think Toffolo's uh, he's just had to adapt his game a little bit as well um, so I, I I don't think it's the, uh, the worrying point then and the sort of point of that piece was more to to just get him in crossing positions more more than anything else um, but I think mm. I think a lot of it is that Toffolo and O'Brien tend to work as a double act when things are going really, really well. And I think both having a slightly slow start to the season hasn't helped. But I suspect they'll both kick on from here um, and we might see a little bit more, which, to be frank, will help Sorba Thomas out because Sorba's played every minute of this season to date, barring about, I think he came off for the last 12 minutes against Blackburn, something like that. He's also now been away on international duty, made his debut on Friday, which was lovely, lovely to see. Yeah. At some point, they need to find ways to give him a break and give him a rest. So getting more from that left side is important, but they've got to just get out of that mentality of just hitting it left and hoping Karoma O'Brien Toffolo does something with it, really. Um, but yeah, I I thought uh, I saw a few town fans online sort of saying that they felt Luton were there for the taking a little bit, and I, I didn't really get that at all. I think Luton are very good, very organised side who I know Toff had that chance later on and he should have squared it but you know Luton hit the post early in the first half and, mm. and we're creating plenty I, yeah I, that was a big I think off. they're a good side Luton I think it's a good point yeah yeah it is a good point I, I think I was a bit surprised at how um, positive a lot of the fans were like not about the result but about the performance but I think it's uh, I think it was Matt from the other podcast from Takes That Chance said um it's that class it's because they had a poor first half and a good second Mm. half and I think if you do it the other way round probably people come out of it feeling like they got lucky and got away with it but because they had that improvement in the second half people like actually they went for it fair enough um rather than oh they had a chance and they blew it Mm. so 
yeah, as I say, I, th- I think a one-all would because the the big chance for me was, and this is why we've sort of not hammered them on the XG, even though it's their sort of their worst expected goal difference for for a while, um, is because I think their big chance town was Huddersfield Town was the one that didn't result in a shot where they got the three on two on the break with Sonani coming in from the right. And then he, he tried to to play in Karoma, but it was it was so wet out there. He just he, he didn't want to overhit it and ended up underhitting it because of the conditions. It just sort of got stuck in, in yeah. not in a puddle, but you know it just got held up on the turf and didn't run through to Karoma. And if he if it had got through to Karoma, it would have been a goal. I'm certain of it. Um, so yeah, those were the that and and Luton hitting the post were the two big chances really that sort of came and went for both sides so yeah a good point overall I, I don't disagree at all I think you know we're always happy with a point away from home but especially away to Luton I'm always impressed at, at how hard they work and how much they get you know they get they always get the maximum out of you know not necessarily the best squad in the division yeah I, I absolutely agree and I think the other thing is Town have always struggled um, over the last couple of seasons against really well-organised sides. They because it's those sides that tend to get themselves into a low block early, and then Town have to break them down. And often, if Town have conceded, that essentially they've just retreated, kept their shape, and Town can't break them down. Now I know it was only a nil-nil draw, but it was a nil-nil draw away from home in terrible conditions against a very well-organised side. And I honestly think that's a game. That probably in the same circumstances last season they lose. Um, you know, I know mm. they they did okay um, last season at Luton, didn't they? It was the one-one draw where Tofflo got sent off, wasn't it, last season? But yeah. but I just think in the same circumstances as Saturday, they they probably would have lost that game. So it's just another little marker of the the sort of mindset and the progress they're making really and me and you both had a little wobble when they lost to Forest and they lost to Swansea um, because they just it was all the old bad habits they lost for all the reasons that they lost all those games last season but mm. the important thing is that they can pick themselves back up and get going again and they get the win against Blackburn and they get a good point before the international break and we all sit here going yeah fine good yeah exactly right then should we get into some questions hit me with your cues and i'll give you my a's okay i'm just going down these in the order we got them uh from will shaw having seen enough of, uh, of many of our players now what in your opinion is our best starting lineup and what are the main change-ups and options in that which is exactly why i've got my uh my tactics board out here uh just to make sure that i've got it clear in my head um so i think to be honest dave i imagine if we ran through position by position we'd have the yeah. same answers in pretty much yeah every role um so we're both going three four three i imagine yes i would say so yeah yeah and we're having uh lee nichols in goal and the back three pearson lees and colwell yeah yeah uh, i i like i really we we talked a lot about nabi Sarr early in the season and how much better he's doing but you just can't make a case for him ahead of any of those three at the moment but he's a good backup option isn't he you know they want us yeah. to talk about the options and the change up bringing nabby in i think yeah it's it's tom lees has been so good in that central that unfortunately you have to put him back out on the left where he's not been quite as good as he has been when he's played in the middle mm-hmm. to be fair 
but by the same margin <sighs> like town i've just done a piece actually and town have used four center backs this year and barring sort of a massive injury crisis they they might end up potentially using five if they have to drop Vallejo in there, for instance, or if they called Reg back to, to play there, potentially, if there was a you know big injury collapse. But they over the last two seasons, they've used 11 different players at centre-back, and they still had to go and recruit three more this summer. So having that sort of consistency and that, that sort of, uh, you know, you can't really argue with anyone in that position, I think is a huge reason why we're both now sitting here saying the start to the season has been much better yeah I'd agree yeah I think it's the reason to be honest the the four at the back um, as in the goalkeeper in the back three the starting back three um, okay so we're obviously having Sorba Thomas right wing back and you, you've got Ollie Turton as you back up there I mean they're different kinds of players Turton allows them to go 4-4-2 I think that's the mm. big it's not 4-4-2 four at the back or 4-3-3 um, which I think is sort of the big benefit of Turton and interestingly Turton is a player who is I think uh, he's only missed one game this mm. season um, I think it was Luton the first time he didn't come on I think so um, obviously you know we don't really need to talk about Silver Thomas no. but just yeah. uh, just out of interest Aaron Rowe's foot injury clears up tomorrow do you think Aaron mm. Rowe goes ahead of Turton in that in that thinking um I think there's a natural place for Aaron Rowe on the bench, mm. to be honest. In in much the same way that like Carlos Gorbran has talked about Dwayne Holmes and has been really pleased with what he's been able to do off the bench, but doesn't like even when he had Hogg and Vallejo out, he picked Scott High instead of Dwayne mm. Holmes. Like nothing against Scott High, I, I like Scott High, but like I think Carlos likes having Dwayne Holmes as an option from the bench because he's so versatile, mm. um, and I. think feel like Aaron Rowe might be in a similar position if and when he's back because he can play anywhere up and down either flank um, Mm. which is very appealing I don't know whether that means he gets in ahead of Turton or not though because I think similar to how and we'll talk about the strikers I guess similar to how up front you've got sort of Danny Ward, Fraser Campbell, Mipo or DeBaker we've seen that he's he's tended to pick one of like Campbell and one of Ward or mm. Odebiko. Mm. Uh and I think he sort of sees Campbell as the alternative and Ward and Odebiko as as sort of more of a, of a likeness and I think you might have a similar thing with sort of Aaron Rowe and Turton where having Turton on the bench gives you a different option rather than another option that's the mm. same yeah I agree I think Aaron Rowe's natural place on the bench is probably the one that Rolando Aarons is sitting in right now but we'll get to that yeah agreed completely agree uh we'd have Lewis O'Brien starting and like I've laid out what the alternatives are in each position here um on my board and I haven't even bothered putting a backup to, to <laughs> O'Brien because I, yeah. I, I don't think there is one to no. be honest you know if he got an injury then then probably Scott I would go in there but I don't think you drop O'Brien for any reason basically um Hogg I think is another matter both because I think he needs rotating because we know that you know at this stage of his career he's going to need sort of rest now and then but also tactically I think we're both of a view that there's games where you might prefer to have an Alex Vallejo yeah I, again it was something I did a piece on last week um, that I, I think it's horses for courses really and I think Hogg is still uh, absolutely vital in certain games and to be frank in certain one and one duels with midfielders um, that he's up against but there are other games where Vallejo may be the next best option. And left wing back again I think neither of us would argue that Toffolo should be dropped but we've really not seen much of Ruffles he had he had a, a cameo against Blackburn as a, a fourth sub which is unusual Um 
But uh, I think, again, we talked about that crossing and all the numbers from League One last year suggest that Ruffles is a, a better crosser than, than Toffolo and a better crosser than, than most in that position, actually. He is. And I think when you're talking about options to mix it up, I feel like I'm just keep saying this was in a piece that I wrote, but this was in that crossing, Toffolo crossing piece as well. I think with Ruffles, I think there is a world where you could play Ruffalo, Ruffles and Toffolo together and have to- Ruffalo. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> and have um, and have us almost like two crossing machines on one side loading the gun for whoever's up front particularly late on in games so me and you are quite we're, we're sort of fans of ruffles aren't we it's it, it feels like mm-hmm. from what we've yeah, seen the stats and the footage we've seen from Oxford, it, it yeah. feels a level above say even potentially dare I say Ollie Turton who I know has not sort of won over every fan I think ruffles is a bit of a step up from Turton if I'm honest Oh yeah, I would say mm. so. I think I think Ruffles. I get the distinct vibe with Ruffles that he has been signed as much to be potentially Toffolo's successor as his yeah. backup. Whereas yep. I think if whereas I think if like you know if if Toffolo went in January, I think they'd just promote Ruffles. Yeah. Whereas I feel like if Pippa went if Pippa went in January, they would sign a replacement rather than yeah. Uh, I agree. Turton. I agree. Um, right wing. I think would we both have Sonani? Yeah, but not really as a winger. <laughs> I think if. I think one of the things Sorba Thomas really benefits from is the fact that Sonani is not he's not an inverted striker in the fashion that Josh Caroma is, but he's also not a sort of conventional wide attacking player on a three. He he really does tend to drift. I, I'm surprised he doesn't do Carlos Corbran's head in, if I'm honest, because he often pops up in <laughs> positions that you look at and you think, I don't quite know how he's ended up over there playing 10 yards ahead of Josh Caroma on the left. But it's, if we've talked about having somebody who is a bit of a wild card and just drags defenders out. And I think Sonani just playing in that weird little pocket of space where he's not coming all the way inside, but he's not playing outside as, as a winger has really benefited Sorba because it's just given him the it's given him the space to run into. One of the things you said to me that has really stuck with me is like one of the things Sorba Thomas has really benefited from this season is having twenty yards to run into instead of five. And I think mm. that's very, very true and I think that's one of the things Sonani sort of allows you to do really on that side. Yeah. Agreed. And and I think with the options that they've got on that side, you know, you could bring in Dwayne Holmes to, to do a similar kind of role. Um, and uh, I went to the B team game on Friday night just to just to watch basically. And uh, they played John Russell on the left of the front three, basically doing that role, but on the other mm. side. He's he's an interesting one. He's a central midfielder, but what they've told me about him is they see him. They want to sort of train him up to do to be almost like um like a Suchek or a Marouane Fellaini or a Philip Billing where in the, in the championship this season today. Yeah, exactly. Where he's the big, uh, very tall attacking midfielder who almost plays yeah. as plays. You know, he's he's there as a central midfielder or an attacking midfielder, but basically plays as a, an extra striker. Yeah. And I can see it as well because apparently this lad's got a, an awful lot of talent on the ball. Um, and the sort of role mm. of the ten has changed. And and I mean, Billing is really profiting this season. Um, and I have to say, I've seen him a couple of times, and he really does look good in that role so I'm not surprised that there's a few looking looking that way if I'm honest and it's in a team struggling for creativity then any option you have is is decent yeah I've got quite high hopes for that young man as well to to be honest 
scored twice on Friday as well, both of them with his feet. Um, left wing, again, I think we'd say Josh Gromer, and then I think there's a massive, massive drop-off after that, to be mm-hmm. honest. like I think the, the backup to Gromer is Silva Thomas, as we saw against Swansea. Yeah, um, which, is, which is why I sort of semi-wonder about the possibility of potential moving Toff higher up the pitch and having Ruffles as that as that backup, which, you know, I don't think Toff will play on the left of a front three that often. But yeah, when you look at the difference, it is stark because Rolando Ahrens is <laughs> still a massive unknown, if we're brutally honest. Aaron Rowe is better on the right, isn't he? If we're if we're being completely honest, he, he had some good games on the left last year as well, though. To be fair, but yeah, I think that's probably probably correct. So yeah, there there is a drop off, and I think that is one area where. But I, like, I think this summer they had to sort that defensive unit out. They the, the, yeah, like yeah, yeah. they've conceded over seventy goals for the last three seasons, and they've used about one thousand four hundred players in various positions there. So like you. Can't solve all your problems in one transfer window. Yeah, but that is like a fairly obvious one where you go, okay, they need they need something there. Maybe Russell is potentially an option there going forward. Who knows, really? Yeah, I think I'm pretty sure Ruffles played one preseason game ahead of yeah. Toffolo rather yeah. than the other way around, as you suggested. Yeah. So, um, yeah, we'll see. Um, but I mean, I think Karoma's not not reached obviously not reached the levels he was at last year. And there have been a couple of games we've talked about before where I think tactically he's not been completely on the ball. But he's, you know, again, as I think we might have said on the last podcast, he's 22 years old and you forget, I think, because he had such a good season last year that he's he's only really played about, what, like 40 mm-hmm. championship games, something like that. So it's understandable he'd still be learning and I think everyone would still put him in. And would you and I both have Danny Ward as our starting striker? Well, we can only, we can only answer this question right now, can't we? And I mean, right now, Fraser Campbell hasn't scored this season and can't play game after game. Jordan Rhodes is injured. Odebeko is is an unknown at the moment because all the stuff is really, really promising, but you can't point to any evidence at the moment to say you'd have him in over Danny Ward. So I think you... I think you have to really and I think it's important for Danny Ward that he has another good game in the next two after the international yeah, break and then it feels like he's getting a little bit of momentum. I I, I just think with Danny Ward he's going to look bad in away games <laughs> and better in home games because Corbin's system in away games is to have a striker who's essentially the first defender. That's just just the way he does it even in games he thinks he can win and when Danny Ward has to do that role it's a very difficult role to do and really impress and do the things that found fans you know expect of a striker which is have a load of shots on goal score the odd goal etc whereas in home games I think the Blackburn thing has has really set out a little bit of a template of getting players a lot closer to him and, and helping out so I suspect the pattern is going to be that Fans are gonna, you know, warm to him at home, but they're still gonna think he's struggling away when he's not really struggling. He's just doing a very different, different job, really. Yeah, yeah. Um, and we've spent a long time on that, so I will move on to the next question because it is almost related. Daniel Peckett asks, uh, which players do we think need to step up more throughout the rest of the season? And uh, he singled out Rolando Aarons. Uh, he says he concerns me because I've yet to see anything that proves he was worth the wait back when we signed him in January. Mm. <laughs> Yeah, I, 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 like, I don't know about that young man at all because obviously he came and he was sort of 
carrying some sort of injury which then got worse then we didn't see anything we didn't see anything pre-season I, I, I don't know <laughs> I don't know whether he yeah the, the problem is there is like in my heart of hearts I don't know whether he can step up because I have no um, sort of evidence to, to say yes or no really I think when I answer that question I look at if I look at the options that we know a bit about and we know what they want to bring like the the first thing that comes to mind for me weirdly is is Jordan Rhodes because we've hardly seen anything of him uh, he started he had what 63 minutes against Derby and then he had about just shy of half an hour against Fulham when the game was when the game was gone we've not seen anything since I know I'm not saying oh he's got to do much better than that but Jordan Rhodes has been signed to come in and get five to ten goals this season and Town really need those five to ten goals this season if they're gonna if they have aspirations of of getting into sort of upper mid-table comfort it's adding goals that is the thing they really need to do and that's what he's been signed to do so he comes to mind and the other one is Aaron Rowe who we're all really excited about he's got this injury it's going on and on and on but when he comes in I'd like to see him step up a bit this season and he it was sort of last year was a really encouraging cameo I would like to see I mean I don't want to use Sorba Thomas as a template because Sorba Thomas is like his rise is just incredibly meteoric but yeah you can't apply no, that standard to no players. but you would like to see you know a little bit more maturity and him and him pushing on as well yeah I, I think Aaron's isn't it's it's apparent he's a long way down the pecking mm. order like we've not seen him play yet this season I know he had an injury in pre-season but he's been fit for quite a long time now. I think he's been fit for more games than not. And he, there's been games where he's just... It, the, the thing about Aaron's is that the reason we can't really say whether he can step up or not is because when they've needed a wide option in games, they've always gone for someone else from the bench. So yeah. even if yeah. that means, I mean, in a literal sense, sort of changing the shape of the entire team, that's what they've done, which makes you think, yeah, out of those subs, yeah. he feels like seventh of seven subs, doesn't he? Yeah, he feels yeah, exactly. Um and he's not even been that at times. When we've asked Corbran about it, he's basically said, you know, and after those sort of back to back defeats to Forest and Swansea, we said, Are you gonna make changes? He was like, No. Um and he was basically like the players that are, have been playing are the ones that like we think are at a level where they can offer something and the players that aren't playing, we don't feel they're at a level where they can do something. So I think that tells you something about Rolando Aarons, to be honest. Um I think he has he had glimpses last year um, I think of the Luton game and Bristol City where he was probably Town's um, best attacking player in each of those games he, he looked really dead certainly against Luton um, and looked dangerous but there's also been a lot of games it's similar it's almost a similar thing to Danny Ward last season where half the time we saw him play he wasn't you would have an asterisk over his fitness uh, and you wonder to what degree that that continues to be an issue to be honest because um, it's been an issue throughout his entire career I, I think it's looking like a it's not looking like a good signing at the moment to be honest it it, it felt like a signing that could go one way or the other and unfortunately mm-hmm. it seems like it's gone they said that the, the negative way there was a real need for him to sign and they missed that window we won't go into all the details of why then it was almost like well we're still going to have to sign this lad because of what had happened but the needs had changed so almost yeah. through no fault of himself he suddenly came in in a completely different context and I think he's I think he's suffered for that if I'm honest 
and other players have got ahead of him since then. Yeah. Unfortunately, you know, um, Karoma's come back from injury, and um, Silver Thomas has obviously had the start he's had. Nelson Arnie's come in. Uh, you know, I think I think the needs have, as you say, the needs have changed. I think that's exactly mm-hmm. right. Uh, Ian Best says, with all the emerging talent in the B team, how long before we see some in the first team? And do you think any will replace older players when contracts expire? Uh, I think. Yes, but I think the ones that are sort of next in line to replace those older players are the ones that are out on loan at the moment. Mm. Um, so Romani Edmonds Green is the obvious one. Um, he he was only really, I mean, it's, that's if you even consider him a B team mm. player, which I probably wouldn't at this stage, to be honest. Um, but he was only sent out on loan because he'd missed a lot of preseason with COVID, and it was like, well, by the time you get up to speed and have minutes, um, mm. like they basically they just couldn't give him the minutes he needed to get back to full match fitness. They sent him out on loan where he was going to get those minutes, and it sounds like he had a bit of a slow start at Rotherham, yeah. but he's doing much, he's well, doing it, much, it, much better the last few games. You know, like nobody says anything about my boy, and that slow start wasn't his problem. It was just <laughs> he hadn't had a pre-season because of COVID. He'd had yeah. no pre-season, so he came straight into the side, fairly cold to it, and now he's up to speed. He's um, by all accounts, he's absolutely bossing it. It's quite quite interesting watching uh, Rotherham fans' timelines when he's playing and pictures. Of brick walls going up and gifts of balls hitting brick walls, etc. It's quite nice. Uh, but um, yeah, in terms of emerging talent, having sort of watched, I've seen a few, and I've, I've can't profess to have seen like a load of B team football, but I've seen a few games and we keep going on about Brahima Diara. He actually, I thought, didn't have a good game on Friday night, weirdly. He was very quiet. Uh, played at right wing back, though, which is not his position. He's an attacking midfielder. Um, I think they just want, I, I, I think they just want to try and get a bit more on the defensive side of his game I, th- I think that might be why he's been playing there um, he's played in every position though to be honest um, inter- but Etienne Kamara who's sort of that mm. deep line number six looks a good player um, as well another French lad uh, and we've, we've mentioned John Russell as well and how he has sort of something a bit different uh, about him and I could see perhaps Jaheim Headley as well uh, was on the bench at Reading uh, the last day of last season. Uh, he's sort of the, the left left back, left wing back. Uh, and again, I think we talked about, you know, if when Toffolo goes, Ruffles had come up. And I wouldn't be that surprised if they had a look at Jaheim Headley to step up. But I think there's a lot of players in that B team who could do with a loan. Um, yeah. And we've, you know, we've seen a few... Um, as I say, Romany Critchlow's out at the moment, Kieran Phillips is out at the moment, Matty Daly is out at the moment. All these players are actually doing quite well, um, which I think is very positive. I wrote a piece on Sunday about it, um, just saying it's it's um, it was a controversial move to switch to the B team. You forget Sorba Thomas was basically signed as a B team signing, um, and, and there's immediately sort of... You know his ascent has been so rapid that he's you know no, he's not even really been a B team player at any point. Um, but yeah, I think the next stage for those players probably is look at how they get on on go on out on loan first. Yeah, um, I think nothing really to add. Really, I think the I think it's a big shout to say those players are going to start replacing first team players because there's an awful lot can happen in the next couple of years for like Lewis O'Brien was not ready before he went out and came back from Bradford and he would admit that himself so it's not just about going out on loan it's being at the right club and the right circumstances and Lewis O'Brien went to Bradford and played a, I think 30, 36 games 37 games 
he got he was the best player in a very bad team and he came back sort of box fresh and ready to go not everyone can do that and Kieran Phillips is one that I look at and I think I'm honestly not sure about Kieran Harrett has been Mm. banging them in for fun this season I don't know if potentially he's just moved a little bit ahead of of Phillips in the thinking and is probably the next one that needs a loan into into League 2 maybe to see what he can do but I think the ones you've mentioned, I think Diara is the one that everybody is sort of crossing their fingers is is going to yeah. come in. And I wouldn't be surprised to see him before the end of the season at some point. It would, I think the dream scenario for this season is not really that Town are competing and fighting for the playoffs. It's more that they're sort of comfortable in, in mid-table and can potentially spend a chunk of April, um, you know, bringing a Diara mm. into the matchday squad, even if it's just to be on the bench, just to experience things and that that would be uh that would be the next step but he's he's good i like him uh i like him i've not really seen enough of of etienne to to really really know but we've already mentioned him i think john russell is the considered the sort of next one off the the next cab out the rank ross kinder what formation do you think suits this town team the best when everyone is fully fit uh i said before the start of the season to my eternal credit, Stephen, that I thought this this um, town squad looked built to play a three-five-two or certainly a three-five, uh, certainly a three at the back. I think the the like you'd have to adapt that three-five-two to a three-four-three now, and the reason you do that is because of Sorba Thomas, because I think as things stand, like I, I said in a piece about Karoma, I don't like having a whole team adjust to make sure you're accommodating one player but I think when you have Thomas in this sort of form if he's happy playing as a right wing back in a 3-4-3 I think you stick in a 3-4-3 three, three, um, for the for the time being until until such time as you get worked out a little bit and then you have to add in a little bit of variation but the one thing I would say is that three at the back is going nowhere anytime soon I mean there are certain games I think me and you would both consider playing a more conventional four but it's working <laughs> so don't don't yeah. change what what is working absolutely fine agreed and i think people have asked me as well like where does pippa fit into that mm. when he's back and the answer is we we don't really know to be honest i think it i th- i feel the same way with pippa that i do with jordan rhodes which is like and i feel this way more with rhodes after after danny ward has you know has had a couple of more positive games which is like i almost wonder if him coming back creates more of a problem than it solves and i know that you want to have options but it's um i, I worry that rhodes when rhodes and pippa are back there is almost i, I don't know i would hope that corbran would have the will to say look you're not going to get your place mm. back automatically just because you were first choice before you're going to have to play your way yeah. back into the side on merit because i do worry slightly that those players might come back in and make the side worse for a little bit where that while they try and struggle to to get them back into the side and back into form and back into fitness um we'll have to see with those we're, we're a way off that's maybe one to talk about the next international break i think when we're a bit closer to to those two being back right robbie <laughs> robbie rooster our friend robbie uh i'm not going to read the whole thing uh but he's basically asking about the ownership situation at newcastle and, and our view on that and the sports washing i think we won't Spend a huge amount of time on this because we're a Huddersfield Town podcast, but I think you and I, Dave, are both <laughs> quite strongly against and are very concerned about the uh, the concept of sports washing, and, and that's 
increasingly being part of the game uh, yeah <laughs> yeah absolutely and, and and I think what it's important to remember here though is that the, the, like Newcastle fans haven't allowed this takeover to go through its football authorities um, that have allowed Gulf States to buy a team in France and completely not only have they bought a team in France they've completely ruined the competitive balance of that league in the process so that mm-hmm. not only has one team essentially won a billion lotteries uh, every other team has essentially had all their savings stolen <laughs> so Manchester City is a slightly different case because the Premier League is a different thing in terms of competitive balance but that's still just as mucky just as as dodgy to be brutally honest with you but it's not the fans that have allowed these things to happen <sighs> I think I think it's Newcastle is slightly different because I think you have to just wait and see because they've been through an era of ownership that has been rough to some degree. I I don't I don't quite get on board with the, this sort of you know Mike Ashley was the worst owner of a football club ever because I support a football no. club whose owner uh, you know lip, essentially committed fraud and tried to sell <laughs> sell all the club's property whilst he was still owner and put all the money in his pocket etc there are there are levels to this it's 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 so short sighted when you've got derby county portsmouth yeah, yeah. wigan athletic it's, Berry. it's so to turn around and say yeah but all he's done is been happy with mid table in the premier league is is a sort of quite a bitter pill for other other fans to swallow and take seriously if i'm honest but they have been through a period with Mike Ashley where they haven't been happy. They've been through a period where they don't feel that their say, their word, their influence has been felt because Ashley, we know, has fought back against certain things. So at the moment, I think you have to understand that whilst they need to look and assess uh, and the sensible ones will, at the moment they're celebrating a departure as much as they're celebrating an arrival. And mm-hmm. I think there is... In context, there is a little bit of that happening, but what Newcastle fans shouldn't be doing, if I'm brutally honest, is having Saudi flags in their avatars and dressing up uh, outside the ground and etc. Because if they do look a little bit into this, and if they, <laughs> you can't complain about uh, without getting too deep, but you can't sort of complain about gaslighting and then just take everything that your football club <laughs> says as as gospel mm. because football clubs like any business are out to serve themselves so i i i sympathize with the fans in a way in that they are in an almost not impossible position but an incredibly difficult one but it's not them that have allowed this takeover to happen so you can't really turn around and say right well all newcastle fans are scum now that's not you know and yeah. there is a lot who won't condone it as well isn't there steve yeah my, my view on it is i i think it's easy to present it as the ongoing degradation of football's reputation but i think that reputation is you know going back right back to liverpool's formation to you know as a club because it was a greedy landlord he mm. upped the rent on everton through to uh mussolini uh using the national the italian national side as a symbol of, of italian strength to franco sort of using trotting out the real madrid side of the 50s and 60s uh for similar reasons uh, Ceausescu in Romania openly. You're his listening son, to Utbia Terrier. 
<laughs> backing uh, Stour Bucharest and taking them to the European Cup mm. and to another final as well. Like this stuff has has always happened. You know, the worst people have always had an interest in football clubs. I, I agree with you that like you have to have some sympathy for sort of your everyday Newcastle fan or not sympathy, but you can sort of accept them going look football politics they're separate to me I'm still going to go you know I'm not interested or I don't like it but they're still my team I'm going to go and support them that's fine I have an issue with groups like um, the their, their LGBT society mm. who have one issue to support which is you know gay rights yeah. and trans rights <laughs> who are just saying oh well we'll see how yeah, they get that on that was extraordinary that really was uh, if you don't know what we're talking about they issued a about three or four weeks before they'd issued a very strong statement condemning some um, homophobic abuse that was heard in the ground and wanting things to change going forward etc and great. then the new owners came in with uh, a horrendous record of treatment towards that community and the statement was yeah we'll see how it goes on which is like without getting too deep yeah welcome to the literally welcome yeah to the club. i mean you, you just like you just all your credibility has gone <laughs> overnight but yeah, you're exactly yeah. right i mean it's not just clubs either it's important to remember every single european championship and world cup that you've absolutely loved you may want to look into the bidding process for them all including mm-hmm. 1996 so yeah that the, the morality is gone yeah uh ben mcgall do you think the most important reason town generally look better than last season is down to carlos's adaptability in terms of style of play i don't think it's the most important reason for me i think they've they've strengthened the squad a lot i think that's probably 90 percent of it to be honest but he has been more adaptable dave he has shown that he's learned some lessons because this is something you and i complained about last season quite a lot yeah, I, I I still think there's a way to go. Um, if I'm honest, I, I still think there are things he could do different, things he could change a little bit quicker. But yeah, I, that that is a factor. But for me, it's not even about the, the like the sort of squad as a whole. For me, it's about the defence because like there are still fundamental problems with the way that Town attack and the way that Town create. Yeah. But the reason they're not being found out and they are they are seventh in the table and they are doing fine. It is because they're not conceding stupid goals at the back. If you take that Fulham game out of it, which has been proved to be a sort of complete aberration, then I mean they've done. <laughs> they they could not really have done more than was was asked of them. So not reasonably. No, I think. <sighs> I think the adaptability is one thing. I think the thing is that... I mean, it sounds really miserable to say this, Steve. I'm acutely aware of trying to like be positive about it. But I think you have to remember that we don't know what would have happened if they hadn't had a COVID outbreak in the squad before the derby game. Because Carlos yeah. Corbran completely admitted that that meant Sorba Thomas had to start. Um, you know, he admitted it completely changed the shape. And he had to go to the three at the back because he didn't have Harry Toffler and he didn't have Josh Ruffle so he said in a presser to both of us that he was forced into it and the thing is it has ended up really suiting them and really working so it like I'm not being miserable or anti-corporate or anything like that but I'm just saying that I think there's a whole the single biggest factor I think is just have that defensive unit because what <laughs> however you change it or whatever you do if you keep giving goals away it doesn't matter anyway yeah that's it I mean we've seen a big improvement in their goals goals against record and 
and their xg they, they're conceding i think it was 0.4 of a goal less mm. per game than they did last year which is huge like that might might not sound a lot but it's massive and uh you know you you know you're effectively starting every other game one yeah. nil down um you yeah. know uh, that's that's the difference it is they're on course just um, so you know steve they're on course to concede 59 this season which is still relatively high but it's completely skewed by the fulham game so if you take the fulham mm-hmm. game out of it that drops by i think seven or eight goals so like the difference is measurable the difference this season could genuinely be 20 goals which is is huge yeah we've not seen a huge improvement we've seen a slight but it is quite slight improvement in the attacking Mm -hmm. xg and it's worth bearing in mind that that is including the massive improvement they've had from set pieces which has been a big you know big factor in the xg they have got and the goals they have scored um which suggests that their attack from open play has actually gone backwards a little bit um but i think that again it's it's not a huge difference i don't think i think it's understandable um to be honest because you've got new personnel who are coming in to an extent it's understandable and that particularly because they're playing a new shape um i think you know you, you can make excuses for it and to be honest i think you could also make a very strong argument that well they are getting goals from set pieces though so who cares mm. like and that is valid yeah um but but i think before we sort of completely get on board with this idea that they've had this massive improvement across the board this year rather than just in defence we do need to see a, a, yeah. a bit more from open play I think yeah I completely agree I think like the set piece thing is very very valid because like every goal counts it's like these whoppers that go well he's a striker but seven of his goals were penalties so you've got to take them out as if they don't count for some reason you know any, way you sc- any goal you score is a good goal but I, I, I did mention it a few weeks ago on this podcast that a lot of the like this season needs to be about changing some of the fundamental problems to see the improvement it's not necessarily about where they finish in the league and that defensively they've done exactly that already and I would be very very surprised if they have a collapse from here if it's the defense that is the issue you know it, it would be not scoring enough goals that is that is the obvious thing you would look at and say yeah that is still the issue so I, I think the ad- adaptability is is important but I still don't think it's quite where it needs to be which sounds incredibly miserable to a team who are seventh in the table and having a really yeah. good start but you know we are here to analyze Steve yeah big Dougie sort of a sit again sort of do you know what I'm reading these questions just in the order they've come in but they seem to feel into each other quite well so good work everyone <laughs> uh big Dougie says what do you think are the main factors behind the feast or famine like start to the season where town seemingly move from being full of creativity to devoid of it and then back again and how do we improve it and I think there's something in that to be honest um I think a lot of it and Carlos Corbran would say this is is game situations and two scores first um because which is true of all teams but I think is especially extreme with town um which is that if they go behind they chance you know there's a really really good chance mm. they're then going to lose that game and it's it's 50-60% of games are decided by which way the first goal goes mm. something like that but for town, it's been pretty much all of their games <laughs> has been decided by by the first goals. You know, whoever scored the first goal has gone on to win. Um, in fact, I think I think apart from Stoke, that's been uh, Stoke and Derby, which obviously drew. Um, that's been true of every game. So. Um, I think they're they're still struggling with teams that play a low block, and Carlos 
has said that to us. You know, he's admitted that fully that that they aren't they aren't doing well with those game situations. And I think that is again sort of seventy five, eighty percent of it. I think they they could do with we've talked about that creative midfielder. And I think the three four three probably does lessen the need for that creative midfielder as we've talked about before. But there are still occasions where they've missed it. I think. Um, but yeah, I mean, there is some truth to that. Like Forest and Swansea, they look like creating nothing. But Reading, Blackpool, and Blackburn, you know, they've been goal frenzies. It's a bit strange. Yeah, I, I like. <laughs> I feel like I'm repeating myself a lot on here today, but I've always said there is the the, the sort of extremist angle to Carlos Corbran's management, and I think part of it is that people within the club will tell you he's very, very intense. He's very he likes to be incredibly detailed. He likes to go to the nth degree with with players and plans, and I think. Part of it is that when you do that and when it works, it usually tends to work really, really well. Um, but when you do that and it, it doesn't, it tends to become complicated really, really quickly and the wheels can come off a little bit and you do tend to... Town do tend to fall into a win-loss cycle. And again, yeah. something I've talked about a little bit is just turning some of those losses into a point. That... That's the difference between finishing between 16th and 20th and finishing higher, really, because that sort of extra five, six, seven points a season is the the drive behind that. And like just to go back to an earlier answer, it's it's where I think Jordan Rhodes has got to step up to the plate because I think his role when he's fully fit and back end of the season is in those games where Town need to essentially they just need a finisher up front because they're one nil behind or two one behind and they've got to try and go and get something out of the game because, you know, still as things stand, they can't really adapt. If if you were to say to Town right, it's ten minutes minutes left you need to alamo this to try and get something out of it like they don't carlos corbin doesn't even tend to move a defender up there just as something to to hit with a with a long ball they don't seem to have a uh, an ability or a plan to do that so i i just think it's the the complication thing with carlos corbin as a manager you will when it works it works like brilliantly incredibly impressively and when it doesn't it's the exact opposite and there's just very little in between yeah i i've we talked about this recently so i won't go on about it too much but i think you know carlos explain actually explained this in quite good detail mm. a couple of weeks ago and was saying that you know that they're trying to um invite people to sort of to to press them they actually want teams to come and press them um so that they can then like release the ball last second and get it away and try and get a counter-attack going which is why they're always sort of waiting until they're sort of you know uh arm's length away from them before they're passing it and when that goes wrong as it did a lot last year you end up conceding and when it goes right you end up you know you can end up scoring and carlos highlighted two moves where that had happened and um, yeah, I mean, going back to the adaptability thing, it is interesting that Town have had less than 50% possession in all but three of their league games mm. this year. Um, I think they are, I think they have sort of realised that having all the ball is not necessarily a good thing for them and that they are, they do tend to be a lot more dangerous on the counter attack. You know, maybe their, their, one of their worst attacking performances this season was Nottingham Forest and that was the one where they had the most possession. Um, and the game where they were most clinical was probably probably Sheffield United and that's where they had the least possession um so and and by most clinical I just mean in terms of taking the chances they actually got because they did um so yeah I think they're being a bit more adaptable and I think but I think yeah as you say that the 
fundamentals are still the same and that is going to lead to the same sort of extreme mm. win-loss, win-loss that you got first half of last season. Uh, next question, Richard Haywood says, uh, this season feels so much better than last and I'm convinced we'll finish comfortably and not get dragged into a relegation battle. However, the case could be made that we also started well last season. We're only three points better off having scored four more and conceded one more compared to the same point last term. Are there things to be pointed at in the underlying data to support the feeling that the same kind of drop-off is less likely this year um and that is a really interesting question and is exactly why we keep track of of the xg and things like that um i would say with the xg it's it as we've sort of talked about it's much less extreme at both ends this year the defensive improvement is is there to be seen um and last year sort of the xg would sort of bounce would would rarely get very high and would quite often sink very low um you know they they didn't have an xg of uh, expected goal difference of over one they had it one two three four five times in the whole of last season uh where they had an expected goal difference of uh minus one or under uh what's that 15 times uh whereas this season they've had xg of over one in two of their games and under one in two of their games they're they're much more sort of consistently in that middle and again playing a lot of games that that play out as tight games where they either lose by the odd goal or win by the odd goal Mm, yeah like how can i put it we we try not to be opinionated on this podcast unless we can back it up with data and fact and at the start of last season I would make the point, I don't think it was a very good start to the season. And Steve will back me up on this. I was never mm-hmm. convinced at all by them. Because I I, th- I think they got lucky a few times. I think they, they came up against poor teams a couple of times. And I, I don't think it was ever as good as people said. And I think what was slightly misleading was that they scored a couple of good goals. So they scored a couple of goals that, you know, that's where they wanted to be. So I'm thinking about, I think, was it, who was Iting's header against? Was it, I can't remember, uh, where they sort of basically moved from their own penalty area up the pitch fairly seamlessly. There was another one that was very, very similar in a short space of time. But they were still defensively all over the place. They still, when Iting wasn't at it, struggled to create anything. They were still infuriatingly shot shy and risk adverse. And I think this season, although the needles aren't moving like massively, but you just feel there's more of a foundation there. And I don't want to talk about the defence again, but I think that is a factor. But also, I, I just think that I'm not having the squad was as bad as some people make out last year, but this year it's much better. That makes a big difference and it will make a big difference going forward as well. And like... We know Carlos Corbran is not a manager who likes to use loads and loads of players. And last season he was forced to by various reasons and, mm-hmm. to be frank, some of his own making. You know, like having having a massive bench last year, I, I don't think particularly suited him because I think he talked... He talks himself in and out of options, Steve. Me and you saw him on more than one occasion get subs ready to the point of them receiving their instructions and then change his mind and sit them down. And I think think Carlos Corbran prefers to work with a tighter group to have more of a plan 
to have a, a, a better ability level, which is what he's got this season. So I'm not saying the wheels won't come off at any point, and I'm they will have a bad run at some point just by yeah. their nature and by their manager's nature. But I, I just don't think they're going to have that run where they're 12th on New Year's Day and by March they're having to check everybody else's results. I, I, I don't think it's going to happen. I don't think they're going to, you know, at the moment, they're tracking to finish in the playoffs. They'd finish with 71 points. I don't think they're going to do that. I, I really don't. And also, I'm not sure how mm. beneficial it would be, if I'm brutally honest. But I just feel like they can <laughs> they can have a drama-free, relatively boring, very tough for me and you to write about season this year from this position. Um, and anything less than that would, would feel like a bit of failure at this point. Point. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, the I'm just while you've been talking there, I've checked that the expected goal difference last year, the average uh, in the first half of the season was minus 0.3, um, so minus a third of a goal, pretty much. And this year, it's it's dead zero. Mm-hmm. The average, um, the expected goal difference is is sort of dead zero, and that includes that Fulham game, um, which you know we can't discount that they'll have another one of them. But um, you know the suggestions are that is you know less likely now that you know they had ten players out injured then, uh, or out, out injured or, or with COVID for that game, and I think that we're uh, hopefully not going to see that again. So. Um, well, it was eight players, in fact, plus Bakuna and, and Mbenza weren't available. Mm. So, um, but um, yeah, I, I think that's positive. I think the the I think the fact that Carlos has has learnt a lot himself by his own admission um, has helped. Um, you know, he has said that he's he's realised the importance of taking. He said to us after the Luton game the importance of taking mental breaks. Mm. Um, and and you know, he said I'm going to go and have sort of three days off and um, you know take the rare opportunity to sort of recharge my battery, spend some time with my wife, watch the Champions League, um, and um, you know, I I think I get the impression that the training might be a bit less intense this year than it was last year. We've not seen we, we've seen Carlos be a lot more decisive in games. Uh, he's making substitutions earlier. Uh, I can't remember many occasions where we've seen what you've just talked about, Dave, where he's got someone ready and then sat them back down. I, I, um, I don't think. I think that. Oh, actually, I think there's been one. I think there's been one, but I think that was yeah, because, if I remember rightly, I I think somebody scored. So it was last yeah. season. We saw him do it on more than one occasions, and nothing had changed in the game. It was or it was every other game at yeah, some point, wasn't yeah. it? Yeah. Um, so I think I think that helps. I just think just everything like the extra depth to the squad, and you know we've talked about it's a smaller group, and there are players that need to step up. But when you you know again we've sort of touched on this before, but they had eight players absent against Luton. Mm. They had seven absent against Blackburn. The the mo- you know the the smallest sort of absentee list they've had this year is five players um, because they've had um, you know Schofield, Grant, Rhodes. Rowe, Pippa, all out, and those are all players that, if they were fit, well, maybe not Danny Grant, but the rest of them are players that, if they were all fit, you would expect them to be in the first team squad. So, um, yeah, I think there's there's a, the injury, the injuries just aren't going to rack up the same way they did last last year. I think that's the main thing above all else, um, because of the schedule, because they've got the depth, because they can rotate. Um, and and you know everything just sort of adds up the schedule is obviously you know we've got an extra month on the season compared with last year so i i think you and i dave are both still sort of keeping our powder dry we're both mm. sort of trying not to get overexcited very and much so. 
also try and also try not to sort of be doom and gloom either because you do have to sort of reflect the opinion of the time a little bit you have to sort of in our job you have to represent the supporters view and the supporters view is pretty positive at the moment um and that's not to say that we won't point out things if they do get worrying or the things we're concerned about uh as i think we've we've done plenty here and as we've done plenty over the season in general to be honest but you know because you know that their xg has been you know the expected goal difference has been was going up and up and it's been coming down and down since then those are the kinds of things you need to keep an eye on just to make sure it doesn't become a wider trend but i just as you say i think you just you're not if there's a dip it's going to be four or five games mm. not 20 yeah you'd hope <laughs> so anyway uh, Carl Young asks, how does the openness to the media from town compare to other clubs? Uh, are there things that town allow you to be part of that would never occur at other clubs? Are there things the club allow the media to be involved in that town would never allow? Um, yeah, interesting question. Um, I think sort of in terms of transfers, we get yes and no from the club uh, a bit more easily than, than a lot of our colleagues. Um, a lot of other clubs will sort of stay quiet on transfers, but I think... I think town would rather that if there's rumours out there that at least they should be accurate mm. kind of thing because um, I don't think it does anyone any good if you've got either players being linked with clubs you know your own players being linked with clubs that they're not you know that aren't going to leave or if you've got players who are being linked with you who they're not going to be signed they're not going to sign like it, it doesn't really do do them any good for either of those things to, to happen really um, or at least in most cases it's not going to um, they're very open in terms of they'll invite us on the preview show and things like that and the post-match show day that you do a lot um, which again I think a lot of other clubs probably wouldn't involve the media in, in that kind of way um, but I think they like having a bit more of a, a neutral voice on it and let's be honest you know they, they are club um, club videos uh, so you can only go so far with certain things but you go in on the understanding that you know you're you're there to criticise and offer a view that they can't say but that you can also only go so far mm-hmm. Um but I, th- I don't know. I think they, you see a lot of horror stories with other clubs like uh, Hull City where the Hull Daily Mail are not getting into games at the moment because they've been banned. And it's happened before with uh, other clubs have banned, not necessarily our local papers that with the, that you know that are within reach, um, reach PLC who we work for, but other local papers at Southampton have banned photographers before. Rangers, there's a debate going on. There's a, an issue with their photographers as well. Newcastle have banned journalists Alex Ferguson famously banned journalists and wouldn't speak to the BBC at some point Um, and Town don't go in for that kind of thing you know they accept that that we have opinions on things on the pitch and if we get things factually wrong they'll be in touch but it and like with off the pitch stuff obviously we have a good relationship and we'll go and talk to them about how things are going and um they will if we've got things factually wrong that we've published that they will get in touch and say this or they might get in touch and say you've put forward this point of view but we would just say this about it but it's not a rollicking it's just a this is our point of view and if we're doing our jobs properly we've gone to them to get that point of view Mm. before we hit publish anyway so I think we I think we we have you know putting Phil forward to us Phil Hodgkinson forward to us is not something that every club would do either a lot of clubs would just keep that in house rather than letting the local journalist at them uh, I, I think we have a, a positive relationship overall, to be honest. Yeah, I, I certainly think so. I think the I think to talk a little bit about the sort of wider point, I think that sort of ordinary punter on the street maybe 
needs to understand that it's a mutually beneficial relationship so like we need stories out of the club we need to write about the club so being truthful and accurate is important to us because otherwise uh, you there's no point working with a paper you may as well just have a blog and just do transfer rumors so having that relationship is important but it's, it's also important for the club because they there's often things they want to get out there Steve there are interviews with yeah, Phil yeah. Hodgkinson yeah. that they want out in the wider world it's it's a two-way street and I think town are better than most at uh, understanding that I think there are other clubs that believe that journalists are, are just a byproduct of the product that they put out there and serve no use until they do <laughs> until they do and then they're yeah. the most important thing so I, I think it's I think it's a good relationship really and I think I think long-term examiner readers who've read my stuff over the summer and your stuff now uh, in transfer windows you need to understand that there's a bit of a code there me and Steve will report links as they come through but the ones we follow up on and you might get a scouting piece or something else on there's a reason we do that we're not allowed to come out and say mm-hmm. yeah we think there's something in this because things change and like genuinely these things can affect deals as well you know there there is yeah. there is people want to keep things on the down low because they don't want other clubs in they don't want other agents involved there's all sorts of reasons but you know you can often read between the lines as to the ones that we think (laughs) there's something in and the ones that there isn't most of the time we can sort of confirm but sometimes we're sort of we are asked Mm. not to go too heavy on it and sometimes that's because they're not 100% sure the deal is actually going to get done sometimes it's because it's someone that they're looking at but they're a plan b rather than yeah you know and that that's more often than not that's the case isn't it it's like yeah yeah yeah, they're on the list but don't go big on it because it's a list not a you know (laughs) you know not a a single target yeah so but like (laughs) Me and Steve are way too busy to write hundreds of words on people that we know are definitely not coming this to is, the club. <laughs> yeah, this this is the thing. Yeah, I mean, sometimes I feel like we should be doing more of our own original reporting on transfer links because we do often get mm. like it's not. I can't think of many occasions where we have broken a transfer line, to be honest. But I think that. Um, for one thing, there are journalists out there who that is literally all they yeah. do. Uh, all they uh, just, the just other th- again before you move on, Steve. Just understand that what we mean by that for the normal punter is they literally spend their day either making or receiving calls from agents and just jumping on any little rumor they get because that's how they make a living. And that that's an, a little cottage industry in and of itself, isn't it? Yeah, but I think where we sort of, or at least for me, where I sit is more. I don't mind if someone else gets the rumour first quite so much as I want to be the one who is right about the rumour. And and I want us to be the place that you can come and you can trust that what we're saying is accurate. The only one that we have got wrong, uh, to the best of my knowledge, is Fraser Campbell. And that was because the information I had when the link first came up was that they weren't going to sign him. And then a month later, they did. (laughs) Um, So... You know that was that that wasn't we we were just given the wrong information on that one. That wasn't that it wasn't it wasn't even we, wrong though, Steve. The context changed, didn't it? That was the thing. A yeah, yeah. a basically he looked a lot better training with Brighouse Town when he came to town. He was in a lot better position. Yeah. And two towns need change, so I don't think you got that. Yeah, they started the season. I don't badly, think you got that they? wrong. I think, as I said, <laughs> like. 
at, at six o- yeah. at six o'clock on the Tuesday, Cristiano Ronaldo was joining Manchester City. It, it, like yeah, the, exactly. the things change, don't they? Yeah, exactly. And I would say as well, like the the club have no one at the club has ever uh, sort of phoned me up for a, for a piece that I've written about some about how they've been doing on the pitch mm. and said like how dare you like has however brutal or far i've gone with it that has never and happened that, that the only time has happened at other clubs just to clarify oh absolutely yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah um and also the thing about you know again just for for those who sort of obviously aren't in the industry the thing about holding back information and knowing things that you can't necessarily report is completely normal and happens at all clubs J- journalists will often talk to each other and we all have off the record information mm. that we can't report because it would hurt the relationship with th- that's the thing you have to protect your source and if the source has told you something on the condition that you don't share it then you don't share it because all that happens then is you've got great you've got one story out of it but they'll never mm. tell you anything ever again <laughs> um, and part of it part and, of it is just preparation steve isn't it you know if yes yeah, we, we like we like the situation where the club can come and tell us things so that we can get prepared that's that's the thing and if you i think if if through the transfer window if we reported every single rumor and we followed it up with a scouting piece on every single player that's linked and we did this that and the other i think the relationship was slightly deteriorate if i'm honest mate and i think that i think that what yeah because it's it's not like a man no. where you've got every web every football website in the universe yeah. is writing about man U. so it it almost so it doesn't matter it's where, important because we sort of not it's not important that we get it right because that sounds incredibly pompous but it's important that we're seen to be some at least some level of voice of authority on such things because otherwise yeah, what, what are we doing it for because <laughs> it's the only sort of dedicated people that are writing about Huddersfield Town uh, professionally I should yeah. say are us, in the, are us in the Yorkshire Post and the Yorkshire Post covered you know well we cover multiple clubs now I suppose but you know we're the only I am you and I are the only dedicated Huddersfield Town writers in the world mm. uh, professionally on so, lots of levels <laughs> um, so it is important that we have that relationship and yeah sometimes it means we're not first to stuff and you know but I don't but it never means that if we have a strong opinion about something that we are gonna sort of hold back from saying it if we believe it's sort of factually right uh, I think there's some things where it's maybe a matter of opinion and we are a bit more careful with it than well, we might be if we were writing about Man U but you have, and everyone's writing their opinion about but Man that's, U, that's but. the thing I think opinion wise I think you have I mean there were two other town podcasts there's now one there's a podcast for town there's a couple of uh, bloggers there's lots of people covering the sort of opinion based stuff so what we try to do is like if we're going to give you an opinion we're going I've written a piece about Lee Nichols today saying he's really good but like I can say he's really good you've got I've got to back that up with something so then you go into the stats and you talk a little bit about relationship with defenders and you make it a provable thing because because you have lots of other avenues for people to say, yeah, I think I think such and such. I think the important thing is that when they come to us or when we write something, that we are saying, I'm saying this because of this. And I'm not saying, yeah. I'm not for a second saying our stuff is better than anyone else's, but our stuff has to read differently. It has to 
this podcast has to be different from Andy Takes That Chance, or why would anybody listen to this when they've got Andy Takes That Chance? That's that's the thing, and it's the same with the stuff we write and everything else. It's just we try to be more authoritative, and that is a a relate comes directly from having a good relationship with the club, and you don't burn your bridges by just reporting every single line of nonsense that pops up in the comments or that you know somebody gives you or that suddenly appears on transfer rumor gossip slash man united everton slash you know whoever pops up because it's just it's just not mm. the way to do it like and yet the other thing the final thing i would say steve you and i both know some rumors and i'm going to use a town specific one are just they're nothing to do with huddersfield town they're just agents trying to push players and trying to make them out yeah, there yeah, so yeah. if you look at david nugent suddenly appearing on that transfer deadline day as you know huddersfield town are going to assign him and then lo and behold he pops up with three or four more that's literally just a desperate agent ringing round the people he knows who will report this stuff without question and without trying to source anything else so that suddenly he's hoping somebody goes oh David Nugent's available can we put a call in and that's the sort yeah. of stuff we have to avoid like the plague it's it's funny isn't it that uh the last transfer deadline day when town hadn't mm. you know hadn't been briefing agents that they're looking for players in certain positions there were literally no transfer rumors about Huddersfield town yeah. on not a single transfer rumor about Huddersfield town on deadline day this no. year so funny how that <laughs> funny how that happened yes isn't it? um yeah so yeah and the other thing is sort of the the you know would we you know if if we felt that there was sort of uh bad faith or corruption or whatever it might be at the sort of the top end of the club then you know we would report it and yeah we heard rumors like everyone else we check down at the mac like everyone else we have conversations on whatsapp like everyone else so we we do hear all the rumors but we have a duty to be factually accurate and to only report stuff that we know to be factually true so like you know as much as we might hear juicy rumors the same as every other fan does just because we're not reporting them doesn't mean that we are turning a blind eye to it it's just that we have a higher a higher standard yeah. um that we need to hold ourselves to before we start repeating those kinds of we things. can't just write exactly what maynard blue says <laughs> <laughs> exactly we we exactly. have to back it up we have to have something provable somewhere that we can say okay this is why we're doing it but yeah you know i think that was and we will look for other we do look for other sources outside the club as mm. well like it is worth saying you know if the club tell us one thing and we've got a a, a contradictory report from elsewhere we will we will give both sides exactly it. exactly so yeah, it, i think town are very good compared to other clubs and I've dealt with one or two other clubs for various things and even just on a very very macro level they're they're pretty good at doing the smaller stuff in terms of the media but the one thing town are never going to do is they're not some great big sort of media monster that is trying to feed rumours that this player wants to go because they want them off the wage bill and yeah. this player's going to come in because they want to do something else for the agent. It's just not how they work and which is why I I mean I'm exactly with you Steve it's it's not really about being the first it's about trying to be the one that you trust. Yeah. Great stuff. Well, we hope that you do. Um Dave, thanks for joining us uh, for this bumper Q&A episode. And sorry to anyone who is not interested in the inner machinations of the uh, of how the media works. But, uh, you know, I'm sure you could have skipped that last 15 minutes. So that's on you. Um, <laughs> Dave, thanks for joining me. You're at David Hartrick on Twitter. I'm at Stephen Chicken, Stephen with a V. Uh, and, uh, yeah, make sure you like us on Facebook, follow us on Facebook, 
Follow us on Twitter at ExaminerHTAFC as well. Read all the content you think you're even mildly interested in. It obviously really helps us out. And uh, we will see you next time. Goodbye. Sorry.